0: Hi, I'm Laura Hersher, your host here at The Beagle Has Landed, where we look at the ways that clinical genetics intersects with people's lives, all the changes and developments and future and past. Today, we're looking at the way the present of clinical genetics intersected with one person's life very specifically and turned it upside down um, so my guest is Matt Fender. Hi, Matt. Hey, Laura. Today's podcast is brought to you by Invite. When the question is genetics, the answer is Invite. Matt, uh, if any of you saw, on September 15th was profiled in the New York Times uh, by me. Um, so, so full disclosure, he and I have talked many times before. About um, direct-to-consumer testing and how it turned his life upside down.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for the work that you put into telling my story in the Times. I I don't think we've actually talked on the phone since then, um, but I really appreciated that. Uh, it was super important to me that something good came out of what was a very difficult experience. Um, and so, thank you. Uh, yeah, you're
0: I, much more than welcome. I was I was like honored to be a part of it, really. Yeah. Um, and
1: so I guess to start from the beginning, uh, I I guess I haven't always been, like, super interested in, in health. Um, but when I was a junior in college, uh, my sister really unexpectedly passed away. Um, she was sort of the picture of good health, uh, swam for Iowa State University in college, uh, didn't drink, uh, didn't even like to drink caffeine because she thought it was like too unhealthy. Um, and she was on a walk with her fiance in Minnesota and collapsed suddenly, um, and died of a pulmonary embolism when she was 23. Uh, such a terrible story. Yeah, it was was really devastating to our entire family. Um, And when we thought about the lead up to that, she had just graduated from college. She was between health insurance um, before Obamacare um, and had just gotten her first sort of like conservation uh, parks uh, job and had like flu-like symptoms. So she sought medical care in my small Iowa hometown. Uh, They did a chest X-ray um and they totally missed the fact that she was a woman on birth control um and having symptoms of a pulmonary embolism um i guess for us like we think that most people uh who have a pulmonary embolism like would be in bed unable to move and perhaps because she was so healthy um all of the symptoms were not screaming, like, hospitalization, pulmonary embolism, etc.
0: Well, and she was so young and so fit. Right. Um, I think, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's not what you, it's not what you, it doesn't cross your mind, right? Like, it's just so wrong. Like, that just doesn't happen. Exactly. Except that it did happen.
1: Exactly, right. And so, I don't know, like, on some level that started for me, uh, a feeling that like the medical system isn't infallible, that they miss things <laughs> um, and that I would need to be more proactive um, in my own health uh, because I didn't want the unexpected but the preventable to happen to me.
0: So it was like, it must have been like around 10 years later that you were living in San Francisco and you decided to do the 23 Me. Is that about right? About 10 years?
1: Uh, it would Nine. be about six. years. years, Yeah, so uh, my sister died in 2007, um, and I did 23andMe in 2013.
0: Mm -hmm. So so this was back right before the FDA shut down their genetic health risks test, their original one. So you got in right (laughs) under the wire and did the original genetic health risks test. So why Mm -hmm. don't you tell us about what happened with that experience?
1: Yeah, so... I think I went into 23 Me with, um, a lot of curiosity. Uh, many of my friends had done it. Uh, you know, they would tell me about some of the, the silly, uh, things that they learned. Um, and I had seen in the news that there was some controversy around the more serious health risk assessment tests. Like, um, I believe Alzheimer's was the big one and maybe Parkinson's disease. I don't remember what the second one was, but, in any case, I didn't have a family history of either of the, the big scary ones, um, and I knew that I would have to consent to get the information, but even before reading the information, I knew I was going to, um, because it seemed like such a interesting uh, gift, in a way, to have that sort of foresight of like what to watch out for, um, how aggressive I needed to be in taking care of myself. Um, and So I guess, you know, no suspense. When I I got the report information back, I did immediately look at those results. Um, And I was actually surprised uh, to find that I had two copies of the APOE4 Alzheimer's risk gene, um, given that I don't know of anyone in my family who has had Alzheimer's.
0: So you tried to discuss that at that time um, with... uh with your physician at the time, right?
1: That's right. Yep. I was in the Kaiser Permanente system. And it, which didn't, is, uh,
0: it didn't go great. Like, spoiler, it did not go <laughs> all that well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I remember I was, it was my annual checkup and I had, I think, printed out my report possibly. Um, and I, you know, had some level of anxiety about the fact that You know, there was a 50-50 chance, at least, uh, that I would get Alzheimer's by the time I was 85, I think is the the number for two copies of APOE4. And, you know, that was something I really wanted to discuss. Like, is there anything I can be doing? Um, What does this mean? You know, like, I just wanted to tell someone that was uh, more medically intelligent than I am. Uh, And my doctor... Clinical
0: people out there... Mm -hmm. uh, In uh, podcast land, are cringing, cringing still. I'm afraid, Matt, at the thought of somebody bringing in a printed out 23andMe report with two copies of apoE4 and expecting them to have something to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There, (laughs) like I mean, I get it on the on the one hand. Now, especially after all of the other research uh, that I've done more recently, Mm -hmm. Um, but at the time. I, you know, like I had no understanding of how, how like the medical, like the MD world, lives in such a different realm from genetics. Um, I think you.
0: I think you said that your your doctor looked at you like you were being annoying with this.
1: Oh, he absolutely did. Like it was like he had probably experienced this before recently and he was frustrated probably the first time and then to like have another patient bring up information that he d- you know it, it wasn't even that he didn't know what to do with information it was like he was against the concept of genetic testing it mm-hmm. was like it, he didn't even want to hear the substance of the report it was like he heard 23 Me, he heard the word genetic and it was like a knee-jerk reaction like please stop like This is not what I do, and it's inappropriate.
0: So you learned from that interaction that doctors, physicians were sort of a skeptical audience for genetic testing in general, maybe, and certainly direct-to-consumer genetic testing more specifically. Absolutely. That's that takeaway. And then was it five years later that you first ran Prometheus? What tell, tell us tell us what happened then, or or how long it was?
1: Yeah, so that was twenty thirteen. Um, I moved to New York uh, later that year, I've been here since. Uh, and my Yay. best friend, yeah, <laughs> uh, my best friend Chris. Um, you know, I was, and I guess on some level, still I'm a big. Uh, champion of genetic testing which sounds crazy given my experience um but i really found it fascinating um i think i'm a true believer that genetics can inform um better health uh if used properly and so i would tell everyone who would listen especially people close to me um how things i found out or you know that I was curious about their information. Um, And so he finally did it in 2016, um, but it was after the FDA had had shut down the health reports. And so because I was so interested in uh, sort of helping my friends figure out how they could improve their health potentially through genetics, um, I Googled like, is there any way, like, is there any way around FDA shutting down 23andMe? um, Thinking, like, I had access to my report still, and I really wanted my best friend to have access to his.
0: And then you came up with Prometheus. That's right. Let me just just interject here that Matt is more than typically tech literate. Like, this is what you do for a living.
1: Right. I wasn't a coder back then. Um, I worked in nonprofit online fundraising, but even with that, I've always been a nerd. Like, I've always loved the technical part of what I've done in my career. And now I just happen to do it full time.
0: Yeah. Well, sort of you, you've, you've, you've found your community of, of nerds here. This is what this is. We uh, <laughs> really warmly embraced by the, the genetic counseling crowd. So, so you, you and your friend, let's, let's leave him out of it for now, just for not to out your friend in any way on, sure. on, on the podcast, but um, uh, you put your own, since he was doing it, you put your own data through Prometheus mm-hmm. in 2016, All right. Yes, that's right. 2016, and you found, I actually think this is interesting, you found that time that there was something that might be related to aneurysm.
1: That's right, uh, to the embolism, um, and that was that there's this um Marburg variant um related to um, among other things, uh carotid stenosis, stroke, and blood clotting. Um it seems to be super rare. Um uh, the study was in Germany and I'm quite German. Uh and I happen to have like two copies of the mutant variation, like I the, the non-standard variation. So it was right at the very top because the frequency that Prometheus puts with every single SNP was 0%. Like you should not have <laughs> like two <laughs> copies of this, of this. Um, and, and I thought, wow, like this is really why I did genetic testing in the first place because I wanted to solve the mystery of why my otherwise super healthy sister um suddenly died um, okay. when other people on birth control pill, you know,
0: don't. So this is, this is the part of the story where the genetic testing really worked for you in many ways. You were curious about something, you found something that seems to be related, and you took it to a physician who gave you a thoughtful response to it. Is that, is that a fair assessment?
1: That's right. Yeah, I went to my GP, um, who's the same physician that I later went to with the second report, which we'll get to. Um, and he was like, this isn't something I do, um, but I'm happy to provide a referral to you uh, to a hematologist um, who, who may be able to help you better understand if this is important, uh, how worried you should be and uh, do any conflict. Comp- Confirmatory testing that you would want.
0: So, importantly, when you go to the hematologist, you're walking in the door with a promethease result, but also with some pretty striking family history.
1: That's right. Yes. Um, I think there would have been more skepticism if I had gone in just like saying, oh, I have this 0% mutation that's related to all these bad things. Um, help me. Uh, but my sister had the blood clot. And then uh, I think around that time or maybe the year prior, my dad had been diagnosed with um, blood clots. They had not reached his lungs, I don't believe, um, but he's been on a blood thinner ever since.
0: So, And so the, the doctor gave you some general advice on avoiding blood clots?
1: That's right. He, he basically said there's a handful of genetic variants that cause issues with um, women who are pregnant um, with people who are, you know, sedentary on airplanes. Like, and the one that you have from what I can tell is like on the more mild side of that, like you probably are at an increased risk, but it's not something that merits taking a blood thinner or doing anything extraordinary. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So all of that's the background. And now we get to the heart of the matter. 2017, December 2017, you get an email from Prometheus. And what does that email say?
1: Yeah. So the email was basically like a marketing email. Um, It said, hey, you've used our service before. You paid for it. Um, And as you know, we don't keep any data on file for for privacy reasons um, we're trying to essentially do some quality assurance we want to get a lot of data back um, so that we can compare data sets do some analysis and help improve the platform and so you know come over before x deadline end of december and you can run your report again for free and we'll give you updated information
0: so you decide to do that, um, you put it in, you really have no expectations of there being anything dramatic, because you've done this before, like you're just repeating, rerunning your data, and uh, get, getting ready to go for a run, mm-hmm. and the uh, report pops up on your screen. You want to tell us what yeah. was at the, so, and there's something new at the top of your report.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And so the second time I did it, I actually used the API, which I think 23andMe has just shut down. Um, So it was like super easy. Like I clicked through, I saw a thing that was like, use 23andMe API. I logged into 23andMe. And like within seconds, I I probably clicked through without even reading like the disclaimer text about raw data, which has recently I I have reread. Um, But like at the time, I was like, okay, okay, like, give them the data. And it pops up and it's like very, it's like the same user interface, uh, prints out this dashboard basically. And there's always this like modal, this like little square that pops up with like a walkthrough guide. And I was like, I get it. Like I've been in this before. But I like, before I even cleared that, you can see the information behind it. Like kind of blurry, but like you can see it. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like that's a different, number 1 like it used to be a- APOE4 and i had looked at that screen a number of times and this one like was also alzheimer's related but like not APOE4 no which...
0: this one was PSEN1
1: right uh... right um and so i read it and it was really like i was sort of in disbelief like in shock because it said you know, like definitely pathogenic, and like that didn't sound good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no. uh, and early onset Alzheimer's, like that, I had made peace with the APOE four because I had, you know, I'm 32, and I figured 85, like that's a lifetime away. Mm-hmm. Um, like early onset, like I was like that could be now. Like this is something that's like very urgent. Yes.
0: So it tells you you have a mutation in the PSEN1 gene that is essentially 100% penetrant and causes early onset Alzheimer's disease.
1: Right. And I didn't know exactly what 100% penetrant was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I I was a little bit in denial. Like, even though it said definitely pathogenic and I clicked through to read the, I don't know if it was a national institutes of health report. Um, I forget, uh, what research in the, in the last year had flagged this, um, because it wasn't in the first report. So like, it was very new research, um, to, to make it go from not showing up to showing up between the two reports. And I was really like just Googling the hell out of like PSEN one what does it mean to have that? Like, is there any chance I won't get it? Is this like APOE4, where it's like a higher risk of getting Alzheimer's, or?
0: And basically, every piece of news you get is bad.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's it's like just whittling away this like sort of Pollyanna hope that I had that like I wouldn't be affected. That like even though I had this mutation. Like, I would be okay.
0: Yeah, I think almost anybody, you know, they see this out of the blue, totally unexpected, would be like, well, there's, there's something wrong here, right? Like, there's some, this, there's some reason why this isn't what it seems to be. So mm-hmm. you poke through. I remember you told me once that you thought, well, it, it can't be because my parents are both in their 60s and healthy. Mm-hmm. And then you found an article, which is quite new, actually, and good job you with the finding, or bad job you with the finding, (laughs) and how you look at it, where it said um, that maybe 10% ten to 12% of cases can be Mm -hmm. new mutations. So, like, there's that loophole gone, right? Like, there's that, like, oh, so it is possible. So here you are, you've got this sudden piece of information what what was in your head Matt like where where were you mentally
1: uh it's all like the first few weeks it's kind of a blur um I know I went for the run uh, with my boyfriend James and it was I live up in Hamilton Heights so West Harlem and We always like there's like the Little Red Lighthouse and like, you know, the Hudson River and we're always running over there on Riverside Drive. And he actually said, because I told him that night, like I I hesitated only for a moment because I thought this is really dark and I don't fully know what it means yet. But like I had to tell someone and he brought up uh, the book and movie Still Alice and how she would go on runs like in the very place we were and i remember thinking that's really haunting like this this could be where i'm running as my like my, my mind is fading away you know like i it's just like oh. suddenly i could picture the end like how i was going to fade out um the wheel started turning immediately around you know maybe this is why I have a hard time like focusing on certain things or, you know, that one time last week where I forgot X, Y, or Z, like everything started to become evidence that this was correct. And that this was like the, the thing that like I had always been worried about. Um,
0: yeah. Like, like I, I, yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. So, it just sounds like a, like a you know, um, like something just sucks you down in. De- definitely. Um. And just to keep the story part going, fairly quickly, like pretty much right off the bat, you saw an ad for Ancestry. Mm-hmm. And so this is the part where I say he's very tech savvy, went and checked through Prometheus, discovered that Ancestry data also checks the same PSEN1 SNP spent. And there's like a special they're running for Christmas special. So he orders Ancestry to think he can use that double that data to double check kind of mm-hmm. a quick and dirty and inexpensive way to double check his results And that was like the next day right that you ordered the test
1: Yeah, I don't remember exactly when I think it was within a few days um, because as you said the the Prometheus and Snipedia they they have tags for like which testing version which testing kit version for each of the companies includes that Snip Um, and so I, I knew that like Ancestry was on, you know, whatever version two, um, and it, it would test it. So I, so I ordered it.
0: So now while we're waiting for the Ancestry data to show up, you go back to your doctor, the same doctor, you go back to your doctor that you dealt with, with the, who sent you to the hematologist and... So Matt, you shared with me the email you sent to him and you were mm-hmm. very apologetic. You were like, "I'm sorry. I know this is like half-baked and all that, but um and it was like so sweet actually. Here you are. Spiraling. You, I you're totally justified in being like, "Help. <laughs> I need help <laughs> immediately." And then you're like, "Like, sorry to bother you." Um <laughs> <laughs> I just found this out, and like, uh, maybe, and, anyway, so, he um, responded, um, I felt sympathetically, but at the same time with sort of an aura of frustration, like, it's not that it's half baked, but it's like, what are we going to do? Um right and gave you the name of a a geneticist, was it at that point, at, at NYU? I'm not going to name any names. Yeah, I, exactly. Uh, I guess I just already did. But he gave you the name of somebody at NYU, and you called them, and what, and what message did you get there?
1: Yeah, so I think they, um, they said that he primarily saw pediatric patients, and if not that, then you had to be over 50 and symptomatic, Um, and maybe there was even an exception, like if you had a family history, but essentially it was sort of like, this guy's busy. Who are you?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I just busy, but let me say that, you know, we sort of create criteria for who we see in clinics because the clinics are like, there aren't enough geneticists and there aren't enough genetic counselors, particularly aren't Mm -hmm. enough genetic counselors. And so you create sort of criteria that makes sense. And it's not that having a direct to consumer result isn't something we would all recognize as an emergency, but it's not on the form, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what oh, right. well, we're thinking, okay, do you have a family history? Do you have symptoms, et cetera? Um, there's no spot on the form where it's like, did you get a report that tells you this with some degree of vali- like likely validity? Um, so then Matt used the um, – y- you tracked down the NSGC um, – Find a genetic counselor tool. I think let's give them a plug. Yeah, um, totally.
1: I I googled like genetic counselors in my area or something like that.
0: Yeah, and through a chain of events, made your way to Jill Goldman at Columbia, who specializes in neurogenetics, and uh, sent her an email. And I'll let you let you take it. Um, what what did you get back from Jill? So this was all still prior to Christmas, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
1: I actually saw, um, a genetic counselor on the list who had, who had went to Iowa state, which is my, my school. Um, and I, and I reached out to her cause I was like, Oh, like I'm like not looking necessarily to like pay out of pocket for an appointment. Um, I was sort of like feeling it out. Like for some reason I was very preoccupied about cost in this whole situation. Um, because in my mind, like I didn't, I didn't want to pay like thousands of dollars to like, confirm something that I thought was like 99.9% accurate. Like I, I just wanted to like go right into like the treatment that would be covered or a trial that would be, you know, without cost. Um, And so I think I was trying to work the, like we went to the same school angle, maybe a little bit (laughs) (laughs) and it didn't necessarily work. Or maybe it did because she was like, Hey, this isn't my specialty area. Let me, direct you to Jill Goldman, who specializes in Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I sent her an email or or maybe, um, uh, the original counselor had forwarded or asked permission to forward my email to her. And, uh, she got back to me even though she was on like holiday break and said like, let's talk when I'm back the first week of January, Mm -hmm. which seemed like forever. Um,
0: I bet it was a tough Christmas, huh?
1: Well, yes, it was. But then also she called me before then. Like, I think maybe on some level she was, like, worried about me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But we had set up a time, and then she, like, called me out of the blue one day um, while I was working. And I was super excited and happy to hear from her.
0: And the bottom line there, because we're um, – I want to get to the. I want to. I want to get to the to the to the the big sort of moment when when you get mm-hmm. the other data back. Um, the bottom line there was that um, you you could have gone through a process at Columbia um, that was really set up around people with a family history. I mean, mm-hmm. set up with them in mind of counseling and then testing to confirm it. Um, but that was feeling like it was going to be sort of expensive and a little bit long. Is that fair? Is that a fair? Definitely.
1: Yeah. I mean, at that point I was doing this calculation constantly of how quickly can I get a confirmation? And I think I learned from Jill that like, even in a clinical setting, it takes four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, I've already sent in my Ancestry data. It was $68 or whatever. Like, I don't need to spend a $1,000 to get something after it's already been confirmed. <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't want to, like, spend money and then have it confirmed with the cheap kit and then again confirmed with a more expensive kit.
0: So early January, after the worst Christmas, mm-hmm. um the Ancestry data comes back. hmm Right. And how and, long did it take you <laughs> from getting the email to getting it into Prometheus? <laughs> I did it
1: pretty much instantly.
0: Uh, for whatever
1: reason, I had used a different email address, maybe because I had to, mm-hmm. um, but it's not one that I check regularly. So I think it had actually come like the day before, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It, it came back in, like, record time. I was, like, not expecting it at all. Um, and I was able to export my data and, like, throw it into Prometheus within, you know, 15 minutes.
0: Was was James with
1: you? you he wasn't. It was, it was in the middle of a, of the workday. Oh. And I just sort of felt like I want to pull this Band-Aid off. I've already accepted that this is my fate. Um, I just need to know for sure. And then I can move on.
0: So you're sitting there by yourself and the screen comes back and what happens? Right.
1: And it's not there. Like I, the same scenario I described earlier, the instruction thing is floating over it. And the number one is back to APOE4.
0: So you, and you go back and you click into the menu and check and there they've done the PSEN1 mutation the same the same PSA one spot and it's, mm-hmm. it's the normal SNP. there's no mutation that's right so and now you have these two results mm-hmm. yes and what was your first reaction relief
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I I want like I don't know like it 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 matched what like everything was pointing to, like no family history uh you know w- all of that, but like I just didn't think I thought it was like winning the lottery, like that the fact that twenty three and me might have made a mistake was so out of the question that to have ancestry disagree with the result would be like winning the lottery, and I felt like I had just won the lottery. <laughs>
0: I'm, um, I'm betraying my age and my position because you're saying this, and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm so glad you hadn't told your parents, your poor parents. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess you probably told them by now. Either that or the New York Times piece must have come as a giant yeah. surprise. <laughs> I, had,
1: <laughs> I, I did tell my sister, um, who had done testing, um, and that even felt uh, questionable uh, because I didn't want to tell her something that would be disturbing if she shared the mutation. Mm-hmm. Um, but she actually works in genetics at the Mayo Clinic um, on the IT side. Uh, I, she credits me for getting her interested in genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I knew, was in the same camp as me and that she wanted to know even disturbing information. So I sort of knew that I could check in with her, ask her to look at this SNP location um, and tell me her letters and she did not have the mutation. So I already knew that. And I also talked with her about sort of the ethics of telling my parents, given that I had so many outstanding questions um, and that they may be in a, a situation where they're, they were experiencing symptoms or it would be a lot more disturbing to them to have the information that I had.
0: Um, yeah. Um, so, so now I'm still getting over it, right? I'm still getting over it. I didn't even go through it. I heard the whole story after you already were pretty much sure that it was okay. Although not 100%, right? Right. Um, so, so just um, not to drag the suspense out any further, um, maybe six or eight weeks later, it was a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You ended up getting your doctor to order clinical confirmatory testing, which showed that you're a negative for the PSEN1 variant, um, which is pretty much what you'd been assuming since that ancestry right. data came in. So this was Matt's logic to me. He tested it by me. He ran it by me. He ran it by Jill. We all agreed with his logic, which was that one of them had to be wrong. And since the odds of a new mutation were very small, uh, the chances that that was wrong were greater, much greater than the chances the ancestry being happening to be wrong on this one result, if it was a real result. So that made perfect (coughs) sense. It was a, it was a perfect Bayesian analysis. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But we ended up getting it, getting it tested. Um, And, and subsequently there's been studies. uh, There was a very interesting article that came out from Ambry, I think last, I don't know, May or June um, saying that uh, of confirmatory testing on direct to consumer raw data tests that they had done, so people coming in like you, Matt, where they'd gotten a result from a third-party uh, report uh, using raw data from direct-to-consumer, not their, not their test reports, um, and they got something they were worried about, that 40% of those were wrong on retesting, which is, like, a, I'm sure a much bigger number mm. than you... Like, I really would have changed what that experience was like for you back in December, if you knew that 40% of these things were wrong. Totally. Yeah. Which was part of both of our determination to get the story out in the public eye.
1: Um, Yeah, that's right. Because I was looking for any, anything um, back when I was struggling to accept or, or not uh, the terrible news that I had received And at best, what I was able to find was, you know, a blog post from like a numbers nerd who just talked about like what 99.9% accuracy actually means across 12,000 locations. Um, And that, you know, that means that, you know, one in three people who have uh, one of these errors will have it at a significant, meaningful snip. And I thought, even with that information, like, what are the odds that that is me? Like, I guess one out of three, and that should have meant something to me. But I I was sort of like, you be skeptical of what you want to believe about the information you want to believe that's, like, good news, right?
0: Yeah, you said that to me once, and I I really got it emotionally where you said that everything that you learned – that maybe should have made you feel a little optimistic you thought i'm just trying to trick myself
1: right i totally felt that way um and and all of these articles that i've you know i signed up for google alerts um about psen1 and about genetic testing and i think since this whole experience there have been a few articles about people who had false positives and then the study that you were explaining And there were just none of those things available when I did a very deep dive into this exact scenario.
0: And I think it's funny because we all think about denial, but you were in denial for like five minutes and then you were in denial of denial. Like, yes, you were like (laughs) (laughs) resisting of act denial. So um, so this was an incredible experience. I know it stayed with you. Like the emotional side of it. Yeah. And I need to wrap up, but tell me, tell me, in all of this, Matt, do you have like a um, parting word for genetic counselors? A thought about, you know, if there's one thing you want us to know? Hmm.
1: Uh, I think in, uh, maybe I'll share two things and you can edit out the one that, that you like least. <laughs> the curiosity that led me to export my raw data and do Prometheus is the same curiosity and sort of like faith in direct to consumer testing that really prevented me from waiting for a confirmation test before going into the entire emotional reaction and experience that I had. Um, And so as I think back on it and as there's been reactions to the story you know people quickly raise the specter of the disclaimer text that 23andme includes before you export your data saying that you know this is not to be used for medical purposes and they raise this you know the idea that people should know better essentially um and that there's a reason that like PSEN1 isn't included in 23andMe's in in health test. And I've really reflected on that because, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty for those people and for myself. But I then think about all the ways that the companies are marketing their product and how it's in their best interest to be seen as a super reliable, super accurate source of genetic information. And so if you have, on the one hand, the explicit um advertising and marketing of a product that says this is super accurate um, and you should view this as reliable and helpful to you um, for your health and your life and then on the other hand you have small text at the moment when you've already decided to export your DNA um, that says oh by the way like not all of our information is that accurate and you really shouldn't use this to like gain further insight into your health like we decide what the right reports are, um, and we QA just a certain part of it. Um, I think that's been the biggest learning uh, in the last couple weeks for me, uh, is that there is this disconnect um, and that they're sending mixed messages.
0: Okay, well, Matt, thank you for everything, including being on the show today. And thank you so much for your dedication to getting this story out there. Um, I know how much you cared about not seeing this happen to other people. And um, it's really touching to me. It really is. Thank you. (laughs) Uh,
1: I thank you for, for all of your work and persistence over the last really almost year um, in learning about my story and being part of the experience, even as it was still sort of um, resolving itself. Uh, You've been incredibly helpful and I appreciate you getting the word out
0: yeah it's it's been quite an experience that's all for today please uh if you're interested go to BeagleLanded.com and subscribe to get notices in your inbox about future podcasts uh follow me on twitter all that blah 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 um and thank you matt yeah thank you laura it's been a pleasure talking to you today's podcast is brought to you by Invite. when the question is genetics The answer is in Vitae.